It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Broadcasting from coast to coast, city to city, coast to coast. It's time for the Ryan Hickey Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. If it's happening in sports, it's being talked about right here. And here's your host, Ryan Hickey. Good Thursday morning. Welcome into the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It is the Ryan Hickey Show with you here. For the next two hours on this Thursday, a gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous Thursday morning. A ton to get into here. Wowza. We got a jam-packed show. Steph Curry, on the heels of his incredible night on Tuesday night, is he the best player right now in the NBA? Is he better than LeBron, KD, Giannis? We'll have that discussion in 15 minutes from now. Is it Thursday, which means Hickey's Pickies is back. Always a staple during the football season. Stu Kovacs. I am very excited for Stu to join the show. Works for me at CBS Sports Radio. Works on the Jim Rome Show and also Tiki and Tierney. But he is a diehard Lakers, Raiders, Yankees, Notre Dame fan. That, that is correct. He, he hit them all. Lakers, Yankees, Raiders, Notre Dame. We were excited to see his... Uh, his takes on this weekend, a big-time Raiders mush. We'll discuss why, but Stu coming up here, 9.40 Eastern, doing some picks for Hickey's Pickies. 10 o'clock, as we know, right? In the NFC, it's five teams uh, in terms of being good in Super Bowl contention and everybody else. Well, out of those five teams, who has the best shot to make the Super Bowl? I'll tell you who. And, of course, Week 11 is shaping up to be contender or pretender week. I think a few teams will get exposed as serious pretenders. We'll explain and discuss who those two, uh, who those few teams are, I should say. We are coming to you live from the Big Italy Pizzeria Studios, whether it's great pizza, hot heroes, and phenomenal dinners. Make sure you check out BigItalyPizza.com to find a location near you. Let's start off here with mediocrity, with bad. Because in the NFL, right? The NFL prides itself on what? Parity. Right? They reward the worst teams in the NFL with the highest draft pick the following year. So they want the bad teams to become good. And they want to level out the good teams to where there is no dynasty, where there is no runaway, let's say, Golden State Warriors like there was in the NBA dominating for five, six years. Or Alabama football that's dominated college football. Right? The NFL prides itself on parity. The good teams stay good, but they can become bad, and the bad teams can build themselves up to be good teams. So it, to me, in the NFL, it's really not an accident when bad teams stay bad. The NFL is designed for bad teams to eventually become good. So it's not the NFL's fault. It's the own team's fault when bad teams stays bad. When, when bad teams stay bad, it's their fault. And I want to highlight two teams here, really one game this weekend, fittingly, that the, the Dolphins are playing the Jets. Because the bad, the way bad teams stay bad, the easiest way bad teams stay bad is by never finding a franchise quarterback. It's not just about never finding the guy, drafting the wrong quarterback, getting unlucky with injuries. Also, part of it is on the team by not developing the young quarterback, by not putting him in a position to succeed. And I want to bring that up here when it comes to both the Jets and the Dolphins because that is what is going on here with both Miami and New York. 
There's a reason why both of these teams have been bad and remain bad for years, decades. Look at the Dolphins. Their last franchise quarterback was who? Dan Marino. And for the Jets, I mean, you might have to go back to Joe Namath to have a, a legitimately successful quarterback quarterback in your team. So it's not an accident that the Jets have remained bad for a while, and the Dolphins have now remained bad for the last two decades. And to me, how they have handled both of their young quarterback situations is the perfect example why. How the Jets right now are handling Zach Wilson and how the Dolphins have handled and are handling Tua Tungvaloa is the reason why bad teams stay bad. Let's hit on the and let's start with the Jets first because they were in the news this week with their decision to start Joe Flacco at quarterback this week. For me, Robert Sala is sending one of two messages. Neither of them are very good. Both are very bad. Either the first message he is sending is that he does not trust his offense coordinator, Michael Thor, to call a good game against his Dolphins' blitz-heavy defense. That's number one. So either that's the message he's sending, that, hey, I don't trust him to deliver a good game plan, so I'd rather go with the experienced quarterback in Joe Flacco that, sure, he's been here for a minute, but at least he has seen these defenses before, and he gives us a better shot to win. So I'll go with the new guy, who's not very good, but he is experienced, and I don't trust my OC to drop a game plan that is good enough, or, or... The other message he's sending is that he's afraid, the Jets are afraid, that Mike White will have a bounce-back game, play well, and make it impossible to give Zach Wilson his job back. So in case you missed it, I want to at least have you hear what Robert Sala uh, is said, uh, saying. This is Robert Sala yesterday describing and explaining why Joe Flacco will start on Sunday. One of the reasons why we went and got Joe is for the experience part of it, not only for the playing ability, and, uh, but for the room, but also for situations just like this. You know, Miami's got a, a dynamic uh, uh, coverage system as, as it pertains to defense with zero and all the different coverages they run, and, and Joe's kind of been there, done that, and uh, just kind of a steadying experience uh, that we felt would put us in the best position to win. So he keeps talking about experience. Oh, he's a, you know, Joe Flacco brings a lot of experience. The, the Dolphins bring a lot of Different blitzes. We saw that on Thursday night. He wants Joe Flacco, right, to be the calming voice against a blitz-heavy defense. He is trusting the experience of Joe Flacco, despite the fact that he's been in, in, in New York with the Jets for two weeks. He is relying on the experience of Joe Flacco to get the ball to receivers and let them make plays. Well, let me ask you this. Why can't Mike White do the same thing? Why can't Michael Floor and Mike White both game plan this entire week for plays and schemes that will go against those blitzes, that will counteract all the blitzes that Miami threw, uh, threw on tape last week against the Ravens. Because, yeah, I get Mike White's last game was not great, right? Played the Bills, best defense in the NFL, four picks. But he had no problem lighting up against a good, a pretty decent Bengals defense. Like, that wasn't one of the worst defenses in the NFL. So, for me, when you, when you hear Robert Sala discuss and going with the experience of Joe Flacco because it's a tricky defense. I don't think, or I think one of the messages he's sending is that he doesn't trust his offense coordinator to build a game plan that will be good enough to counteract these blitzes. If they're going to blitz like a ton, like we saw uh, Miami do against the Ravens, well, get the ball quick. Know your hot reads. Mike, Mike White had success when, when he was doing what? Getting the ball out fast. So why can't he do that again this week? If all week, you know what's coming. 
you know what's coming. It's not like you're you're unexpected. You know, the Dolphins are a team that never blitzes, and all of a sudden, come Sunday, they're blitzing every play. You know what to expect. So you think a full week is enough time to have your offense coordinator be able to devise a game plan and have your backup quarterback be good enough to execute said game plan to have success on Sunday. Uh, so for me, there's either the message that Robert Teller does not trust, Mike, uh, Michael Four, or, and this other option thing is even more damning, but he's afraid that Mike White will play well and that Zach Wilson won't get his starting job back. Like, if you look at it, I don't think the Jets want Mike White to have success. Because the more success Mike White has, well, the further that delays Zach Wilson from getting back on the field. Like, you look at this Dolphins defense. Robert Sala could discuss, and he prays about how confusing those Dolphins defense is, how their blitz packages are, are, are you know hard to game plan for. Let's call for what it is. They had a great performance against the Ravens on Thursday night. We all watched it last week, right? In that sloppy, ugly game. And Lamar Jackson chuckled. But outside of that game, this Dolphins defense has not been very good. They're allowing 274 passing yards per game. That's fifth worst in the NFL. They sacked Lamar Jackson five times on Sunday, and they were kind of, or four times on Thursday, I should say, and were all kind of in his face. Well, on the season, they have 16 sacks, which is, or they have the 16th most sacks, excuse me, I should say. So they're kind of dead center. Right in the middle of teams that can get after the quarterback. They're not elite at it. They're not bad at it. So you have a, a one of the worst secondaries you're going against in the Dolphins uh, defense. They are okay at getting after the passer, right? Not great, not bad. So this is not, you know, the 1985 Bears defense the Jets are going against here. This is not the Bills defense, the best in the NFL they're going against here. Mike White is very capable of having a, a bounce back game. And I don't think that's what the Jets want. That's why they are playing Joe Flacco, which I think even sends a worse message that they are afraid of competition and do not want their number two overall pick to kind of take another seat beyond the back burner. Because I'll tell you this, whether Joe Flacco plays tremendously well on Sunday, whether he plays horribly on Sunday, it's very easy to go from Joe Flacco to Zach Wilson than it would be going from Mike White to Zach Wilson. Because no one wants to see Joe Flacco start. And it sounds like, and it seems like the Jets are, are kind of making this to where they will have Zach Wilson's return be next week against the Texans. Get him one more week to get healthy, and then they really want to play him against the Texans. Well, according to Robert Sala, right, the head coach, when Mike White played well against the Bengals, what happened? He said, he'll keep playing as long as he, you know, deserves to keep playing. The head coach of the Jets basically put himself in that situation. To say, we're going to play White as long as he plays well. Well, now, when you're trying to get Zach Wilson back, that do, those two ideas don't really line up. So the only way you can ensure that Wilson is back under center, regains his starting job, is by starting Joe Flacco. And I think, to me, that sends, a bad, that sends a bad message, and it's a bad precedent to set. This is a very young roster, the youngest roster in the NFL. You want to preach what? Competition earning your job, always fighting hard. And I think the message you want to send to your quarterback or your team is that, hey, we are afraid of competition. We don't want Zach Wilson to get his feelings hurt, so we're going to bench right now the feel-good story, the best quarterback on our roster, so we can ensure that the current future quarterback will be able to come in no problem. 
he'll be able to come in and not face criticism. Bad precedent. So either the two messages Salah is sending here, I think are bad. Either you don't trust your OC, which is not great at all, or you're afraid of the backup playing well, and you're going to bench him to prevent that. Neither precedent, I think, is, is a good one. And I do think, another message I should say is a good one, and that kind of only hurts the development of your young quarterback, not help. So on the flip side, too, when you look at the Jets' opponent, the Dolphins, right? the Jets are right now overprotective, I'll say, of their number two overall pick. The Dolphins, I mean, you, for the last year and a half, they couldn't be more reckless with Tua so far. It seems like they have almost wanted Tua to fail and are doing everything possible to make it happen. Now you look at last year when he finally made his debut uh, after six games, he was forced into the lineup, and clearly he was not ready to play. Physically, he wasn't ready to play. Mentally, he wasn't ready to play. And that led to some very up-and-down, cautious play from Tua. And not only that, he was also forced to play behind just an atrocious offensive line. The skilled players on Miami last year were not very good. And the decent ones like Devontae Parker weren't healthy. So now coming into year two, I thought, okay, he's two as comfortable in the system. He is back fully healthy. This is going to be a bounce back year for the number five overall pick. The franchise quarterback for Miami. And despite the fact that he played one game in Foxborough, got the win, by the way, played two drives in week number two against the Bills, hurts his ribs, goes on and misses three games. Despite the fact that he played one game and two drives this year in 2021, what happened? Dolphins were all in on Deshaun Watson trying to make it happen. And if it wasn't for the legal situation, or really, I should say, despite the legal situation, that's the issue. Just being in on Deshaun Watson is not an issue for the Dolphins because that is a known commodity. He is one of the top five quarterbacks when he's on the field. The issue is being in on Deshaun Watson with all the legal concerns, probably no one in the back of your mind, he's not going to be able to play this year. That's the issue. That's how you crush your young quarterback's confidence. And they have done that. They have kind of, to me, run Tua into the ground without really ever giving him a chance to succeed. So it's gotten to the point now, you look at the Dolphins, you look at Tua's future, even if they don't land Deshaun Watson this offseason, even if he goes to Carolina, or even if he's not cleared, worst case scenario, and he's out of the NFL, I don't envision Tua you know, being a starter for the Dolphins in 2022. I think that for whatever reason, Miami has already made up their mind. Where Deshaun Watson or someone else, they seem to be content and ready to move on from their young franchise quarterback. And they, to me, only have themselves to blame. If they're frustrated from what they've seen or lack thereof from Tua, look in the mirror. You forced him out there too early. You put him behind an atrocious and porous offensive line. You didn't really give him a lot of skilled players that were healthy or good. You've given him five offensive coordinators in two years. There's been a lot of bad surrounding Tua's time in Miami. And if this doesn't work out, or if he ends up going somewhere else, I think he'll have success. And the Dolphins only have themselves to blame. Bad teams stay bad in the NFL in part because of their own doing. Easiest way to stay bad, not getting a franchise quarterback. Jets, I think they are botching right now. They're handling Zach Wilson. And the Dolphins have totally tanked to him. They have totally tanked their former number five overall pick. So I'm curious your thoughts. Do you have an issue with how the Jets are treating Zach Wilson? Benching their backup. Because he's afraid to play well. And for the Dolphins. You look at how they've handled Tua. 
They have a problem with it. Plenty of ways to get involved in the show, whether it's Worldwide Sports Network on Facebook. Comment right there in the live stream. Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio. At Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well. Love to hear your thoughts. When we do return here in a few minutes, Steph Curry, see the best player in the NBA. We'll discuss that when the Ryan Hickey Show returns right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show. Right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show with you on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. 15 minutes from now, Hickey's Pickies with Stu Kovacs, a great gentleman who has somehow managed to root for every successful team, for the most part, in sports. We'll get to the root of his fandom and why he is the absolute Raiders mush. We'll discuss that in a few minutes, but before we get there, I do want to talk a little NBA here. And at this point, you know, I don't want to say even a quarter way to the season. We are very an eighth of the way into the NBA season. But when you look around the landscape of the league right now, or the landscape of the association, I don't think there's a debate right now on who the best player is in the NBA. It's Steph Curry. What he has done, not only this year in the small sample size, but even going back to last year. This last year and a quarter, if you will, I think to me it's been enough to have him surpass LeBron James, Kevin Durant, Giannis Antetokounmpo as the best player in the NBA. Part of the reason, he has done far more with far less. He right now this year is carrying a team without currently a second star, just really by himself, to the best team in the NBA. Not only the best team in the NBA, the Warriors are legitimate finals contenders in a large part due to Steph Curry. And when you look around the league and when you throw the title of best player in the NBA, for me, it's not just what you do individually, right? Obviously, that's a huge part of it. How great of a player are they? But it just goes above that. It goes more than that. It's also about being good enough to lift up your teammates. Can your success lead to team success? For some players, the answer is no. They can individually put up great numbers, but it doesn't lead to wins. For Steph Curry, he's having individual success and team success, which I think right now he is deserving of the title of best player in the NBA. Because look, individually, Steph Curry's on fire. Again, this is not, I'm not coming to this conclusion just 14 games into the season. This goes back to last year as well. Last year, when you had Klay Thompson out for the entire year and it was Steph Curry and the Steph Curry show, he led the NBA in points per game at 32. He's carried that over so far this year. He's leading the NBA in points per game 28.7. So he hasn't had a real second option to take the pressure away, but he's still leading and scoring, doing it consistently. You look at his most recent game against the Nets, big showcase game in Brooklyn. What does he do? 37 points, hits nine three-pointers, as the Warriors blow out the Nets. Dominant victory by Golden State. Steph has the most made threes in the NBA this season, which, not surprisingly. But again, unlike Kevin Durant, who has James Harden, unlike LeBron James, who has Russell Westbrook and Anthony Davis, Giannis, who has Chris Milton and some nights when he decides to show up and play really well offensively, Drew Holiday, 
Steph is having all of this success by himself. There is no James Harden to take away the, the defense's attention. There is no Anthony Davis down low that defenses are game planning for and freaking out about that allows Steph to have more one-on-one opportunities than he would. He is doing this by himself. Right, Steph does right now, fair to say, even though the, the team is playing great, there's no number two bona fide option that teams are, are you know, staying up late at night to game plan against. Klay Thompson doesn't, hasn't really, you know, he hasn't played since the 2019 finals. He's a great player when he's on the court, but right now he hasn't been there in two years. Draymond Green, Andre Godala, both of those guys have aged. They have never really been big off forces, uh, offensive forces anyway. So look at Steph. Individually, he has dominated and played really well these last two years, despite the fact that it's just him. In a league that is about tri- uh, duos and super teams, the best teams in the league have multiple stars on them. The idea... The goal of kind of having just one superstar lead a team is dead. It is out the window now in today's NBA. You need to have two, in some cases maybe three, stars to have success. And Steph's saying, ah, doesn't matter. I'll do it by myself, and he has. So the fact that he's still unstoppable, kind of doing it by himself, individually, is extremely, extremely impressive. But again, like I said, it's not just the individual stats that to me have are the reason why Steph Curry is the best player in the NBA. It's also the fact that he is making the players around him better. It's that his play is leading to wins. His play is leading the Warriors to actually be legitimate contenders, despite the fact when you look at the names on the roster, they should not be in the same category as the Lakers or the Suns or the Jazz. They are, and they're better than those teams. Steph's play has helped to elevate guys like Jordan Poole, Andrew Wiggins, to have them become legitimate contenders on a uh, championship team. You look at Poole. Now he's been, you know, year number three in the league. Now he's truly in the starting role for the first time in his career. He's averaging 17 points a game. He is benefiting big time from the attention Steph gets and all the injuries that have had, you know, allowed him to play a lot more the last two years than maybe he would have if, if Clay wasn't hurt. Well, he has now developed his game really nicely and he is learning to play really well with Steph Curry. He's developed great. And Andrew Wiggins, right, this is a guy who you watch this year especially, feels like for the first time in his career is actually a guy playing up to his potential. Is the points per game there in terms of pop eye-popping test? No. But he is, though, so far, hitting the highest or has the highest field goal percentage of his career, 48.7%. He's a guy who, if you take away the three-point shot, which he struggled with this year, but look at just the twos. Just attempts inside the arc. He's hitting 56% of his attempts inside the arc. By far the highest percentage of his career. This is a guy who's taken number one overall. A lot of expectations are put on Andrew Wiggins, and he has failed big time up to this point to kind of live up to them. But for the first time in his career, he is actually looking like a guy who, you know what? Yeah, that's right. That's the old Andrew Wiggins that we saw at Kansas. That's the guy that we thought could be the number one overall pick or was the number one overall pick. And have a lot of success. He has finally found a place where he can kind of work off Steph and has elevated his game. But I think a large part of Jordan Poole developing, a large part of Andrew Wiggins kind of finally finding himself is because of Steph Curry. And you look at, again, the names we just listed here. 
Jordan Poole, Andrew Wiggins, a bunch of other uh, contributors along the roster, up and down the roster. Steph has a lot more work to do when it comes to getting a team to the championship level than the other stars that, again, could argue to be the best player in the NBA. Giannis, LeBron, KD. Right? Again, LeBron has Russell Westbrook and Anthony Davis. He is the GM of that team. He has another top five, top ten player with him in Anthony Davis. That duo doesn't have to work as hard to get to a championship level of play than the Warriors do. Kevin Durant, I know there's no Kyrie Irving. For me, even though the numbers don't bear it up, I, I do think that the Nets are a better team without Kyrie than with Kyrie. So far, hasn't played out that way, but I think they will kind of figure it out. But even without Kyrie Irving, he still has James Harden. A tremendously talented player. They got off to a slow start, but he will bounce back and play really well. So you have, again, two of the best scorers in the NBA in the starting lineup. Giannis has a you know an incredible team around him where he you know the the pieces do fit how he plays. He has Chris Middleton, who we saw in the postseason last year, big time shot maker in the clutch. Drew Holiday, inconsistent, but has shown the ability to, to score and is a, is a great facilitator. So there's other players they don't have to work as hard as Steph does to get their teams up to championship level of performance. But Steph has to had to work really hard. And guess what? It's working. They're 12 and 2. Best record in the NBA. And now you look. Clay's, you know, expected to come back soon. He's doing a lot of five on five work. Could return a lot. Now, what Clay Thompson do we get? I have no clue. He has not played in the NBA in two years. Now I will say, as someone who is more of a catch and shoot kind of guy, that definitely is easier to get into a rhythm sooner and have it be more effective than if it was, let's say, a Russell Westbrook kind of player where he is all around the court, hustle, you know, running a ton. Clay won't be moving as much, which is fine. Because he is at his best when it's catch and shoot. So the help is on the way for Steph. But this is also not a fluke. Their 12-2 and two start is not an accident. It's not an anomaly. The Warriors are legitimate finals contenders in large part because of Steph Curry. So the reason we're sitting here Talking about the Warriors as one of the best teams in the NBA. The fact that Steph is having another incredibly successful individual season, despite the fact that there's no second star to divert attention, for me, warrants Steph being called the best player in the NBA. He has taken the mantle from LeBron James. I think last year, whether it was Giannis at times, whether it was Kevin Durant, especially in the postseason, those two have kind of shared that title last year. I think it's fair to say now. This year belongs to Steph Curry. He is currently the best player in the NBA, hands down. Do you agree? Tweet us at WWSRN underscore radio at Ryan Hickey Show. Tweet me there, right on the live stream. If you're on Facebook, we appreciate you watching. You can comment right there on the live stream that is found at Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Is Steph Curry right now the best player in the NBA? Love to hear your thoughts. And we'll get the thoughts of that question with our celebrity guest picker. A big-time Lakers fan. Will he admit LeBron is no longer the best player in the NBA? And also, people have called me a mush. My picks, and you look at my picks right now, they are sinking. 26 and 24 after a hot start. It is getting ugly fast. A 1 and 4 week recently. Not great. But we are talking to a man next who is the actual Real life mush for his team. We'll discuss that when the Ryan Hickey Show does return right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Flawless execution as always. We are back here on the Ryan Hickey Show. I am very excited to welcome on our next celebrity guest picker for Hickey's Pickies Week 11. He is the man hopefully you've seen on CBS Sports Network on television, whether it's on the Jim Rome Show, whether it's on Tiki and Tierney, also recently seen on ESPN sitting basically courtside at a Lakers game recently, is the world traveler himself, Stu Kovacs. Stu, what's up, man? What's up, Mr. Hickey? My main man, Ryan Hickey. Wow. Uh, yeah, I've been on I've been on TV a lot, that's for sure. <laughs> I, I, I can't lie. I had a lot of people picking out, trying to pick out my uh, my little head uh, as the camera went from uh, right to left on the uh, you know Laker Heat game last week as I went to LA to see my Lakers play. It was, it was a good time. It was a good trip. I had a lot of fun. Rubbing elbows with Russell Westbrook, with Anthony Davis. I really should have hyped up even more. As seen on TV, Stuart Kovacs. I love it. Yeah, I was I was pretty close to uh, Russell Westbrook, Anthony Davis, all the, all the good guys. LeBron too. LeBron was you know on the bench, uh, you know trying to coach the team up a little in street clothes, walking on the court, all that good stuff. I was gonna say LeBron was kind of just like he was almost like the um, like the host at late at Staples Center. Like you know he's in the crowd, he's sitting with some celebrities. He's in, he's in like the third row for one quarter. He's coaching the team the next. He's on the court. He's talking to the refs. He was kind of doing it all. Yeah, and it, you see it more in person too. Like every call, he's up there walking over to the ref, walking on the court. Like not even just like walking to where the coach is, just literally walking from his seat on the bench to the court to talk to the ref. You would think there'd be a little, you know, maybe a rule against that, but I guess uh, you know LeBron kind of skirts those kind of rules. Maybe I don't, I don't know. It's a it was, shame it Adam Silver doesn't have a backbone. Right? He should be ejected. Get him off the court. Like, you know, you have, if there's a fight in the NBA, as soon as, if there's one player that even puts a toe on the court, doesn't forget just leave the bench, puts a toe on the court, they're ejected and suspended for like 10 games. LeBron is basically, it's basically six on five. The Lakers have six guys when LeBron is sitting because he's on the court. Get this guy out. Eject him, Stu. Come on. Let's be serious here. Let's enforce some rules. I guess you could eject him, but, you know, he's, he's not <laughs> playing, so I don't, I don't know what good that would do. Or, That's or, true. Know, what kind of punishment that would be, but, yeah, it, it, isn't, it was interesting. That was the one thing I was like, he is on the court a lot for someone who is inactive. And that's your boy. That is your that's my boy. That boy. is my boy. That is my boy. Stu is a diehard. This is no joke. I am dead serious listeners when you listen to this. Stu is a diehard being grown up, born and raised in Jersey. He's a diehard Lakers fan, Yankees fan, Raiders fan, Notre Dame football fan. Stu, what happened to the Cowboys, man? Or Duke basketball? Not good enough I know, for you. I should, have picked, I should have picked a better football team because my football team certainly, uh, my 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 pro football team, I should say, certainly isn't uh, very good. And they have not treated me as well as the other teams that I root for have. But that yeah, is, it is it is a quite an eclectic <laughs> mix of teams. That that is for sure. I can I can't argue with you there. That is yes, quite the selection for sure. So before we get to the picks, I want to just quickly highlight your Raiders fan of me. Now you are leg- like these. We'd love to give you a hard time, but you are a truly diehard fan of all these teams. You're not a front runner. You picked him early on. Now, conveniently, how you picked him, but what are you going to do? You have lived and died with all these teams for good and for bad. The Raiders are the one team that kind of haven't given you much good. You were at the Raiders-Giants game a few weeks ago. You saw them lose. You have gone to how many Raiders games in person now? Raiders games in person, that would be three. Three. You are 0-3. Yes. All at MetLife Stadium, right? So either facing the Jets or the Giants. That is correct, yes. 
How many more games are you going to go to before you maybe wave the towel and say, I, I, don't, I don't deserve to go to games. I'm the mush. Are you a believer that I, you are the mush? I kind of believe I'm the mush too, unfortunately. Um, see, the thing is, I, 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 it's like I can't give it up. Like if they're in town or I, you know, maybe next year I go to Vegas. Wow. Or maybe next year I go to Denver to see them play LeBron. I don't know what, what would happen, but like if they're here, I got to go see them. I feel like if they play the Jets or Giants, I just I just have to go. I can't, you know, not see the team play. Um, yeah, I, I, I probably should give up going to games, but I, I feel like sooner or later they're going to pull through and, and win one of these. But it's certainly it doesn't look good because they, they always seem to lose. I mean, they always seem to lose in general. But when I'm there, they seem to play worse. And even when they're playing good, like against when they played the Jets two years ago, they were, you know, in a good position. And then this year against the Giants, they only had two losses heading into mm -hmm. that game. So even when they're a team that's maybe, you know, on the rise and maybe in contention, they still play bad. So, you're, yeah, you're right. Maybe, maybe I'm the issue. Maybe I'm the one that derails their seasons and, you know, makes them this bad, unfortunately. And to your point, it's not like the Jets and the Giants are world beaters and the Raiders stink. So it's okay. Like, what do you expect? It's a bad team going. It's a good team. They're not going to win most games anyway. To your point, especially the last two times the Raiders have been into town, New York here, they have been on a high, right, coming in playing well, and the Jets and Giants both been really bad, and you've allowed two bad teams to beat your Raiders team. Stu, I don't, I don't know if we got to put a cap, like maybe like, you know, another three games they lose, maybe it's all right, Stu, you're, you're banned, or maybe we got to do some sort of like voodoo, you know, magic here to kind of get, get the mush off of you. Yeah, some kind of voodoo doll, some some kind of jet MetLife Stadium blow up voodoo, you know, inflatable stadium thing that I can uh, <laughs> treat as a voodoo doll because clearly that stadium does not like me and doesn't like the Raiders because they they just do not play well there. They just have not played well there. It's, would you it's unfortunate for me? Would you denounce your Lakers fandom and become, let's say, a Knicks fan in order to have the the hex, if you will, lifted off you and you could go see a Raiders victory in person? I would not do that. No. Wow. Okay. Not give up my Laker fandom. No. All right. No, 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 no. We see, we see where the parties are set. The Raiders low on the list. All right. Mm. All right. <laughs> well, let's get to some picks to here. Now, the good Absolutely. news for you is the guest pickers have been a lot better than myself. So okay, good to know. You should be coming in here, good to go on the on the season. My record is twenty six twenty four. Started off hot and it's really been a downturn. One and four Stu, last week. So not Ooh. good. The record for you to beat is six and one, so pretty high bar set. Only only one of my friends picked one game to lose in their upset pick. We'll get to that in a second. Did win outright, so big six and one record to beat. Can we feel? Can we call a seven and zero shot here, Stu? How are we feeling? Um, seven and zero. Oh, that's tough. All right, what's the I goal? Mean, what's the goal? I feel like goals. I feel like the goals. You know, over five hundred. I would okay. go four and three is the goal. Four and three. I like it. We'll do two college games first, Stu. Let's start with a. Big one in the Big Ten. Number seven, Michigan State going on the road at number four, Ohio State. Really the game of the weekend. The spread, though, is a big one. 19 points the Buckeyes are favored with. Can Sparty keep it close or the Buckeyes roll? Yeah, I, I, when I saw the spread, I was actually kind of surprised. Like, I thought it'd be a double-digit spread. I think Ohio State's the better team. There's no question. Ohio State's one of the best teams in the country. Mm -hmm. They probably have the best offensive team in the country. They put up so many yards. They put up so many points. Just look what they did to Purdue. I mean, but when I saw 19, I'm like, I, I kind of feel like Michigan State's getting disrespected a little. 
They went, the way they played against Michigan, I'm going Michigan State. I don't think they're going to win the game, but I think they're going to keep it close. I think they'll establish the run with Kenneth Walker. I just, I just can't see them losing this game by 20 points. So I think they might lose it by 7 or 10, but I think Michigan State keeps it somewhat close against the Buckeyes. Stu, I'm with you. I just said Ohio State has scored a ton of points on bad teams. Oregon yeah. and Penn State, the two best defenses they play this year, they've struggled. So, yeah, is Michigan State's defense locked down? No. But to your point, I think they offensively they can run the ball and control the pace, and I just don't trust that they can basically play the way they did last week against Purdue because they haven't shown that they can do that on a consistent basis. So bad news for you, Stu, that we agree. The, the key here in picking winners is going against my picks, but we are both on Michigan State plus 19. How about this one in the Pac-12, Stu? Number three, Oregon, at number 23, Utah. Very, very tricky game here. The Ducks, despite being third in the country, are, th- are given three points. They are three-point underdogs on the road. Can Utah... I, I mean, do we call it an upset? Like, rankings-wise, it's an upset. Spread-wise, it's not. We will still, though, call it an upset. Can Utah get the upset, or will Oregon keep rolling? I think Utah can get the upset. I actually have not... I, of all the teams near the top, obviously, aside from Alabama and Georgia, when they play each other, but when you include Oregon, and when you include Ohio State and Cincinnati, the team I can see losing the most would be Oregon. Now, Utah is a tough opponent. They're going to Utah. Oregon really hasn't been super, super impressive in a lot of games. Obviously, they had that bad loss to Stanford earlier in the season. Um, you know, they lose. They, you know, they, they barely beat Washington Washington State the past few weeks. So, I actually think Utah not only covers the small three points, but I think they win this game. I think Oregon is a team this week that goes down. I'm going to go with Utah to pull up the upset and beat Oregon. I'm with you, Stu. I'm sorry to say that. We are two for two. I know. I know. I'm sorry. You can, If you want, you can change your pick. But I'm with you. Like, you, this is, I totally agree. Oregon is the one team, and in the top six, we'll say, or I guess top five, that I could absolutely see losing again in the regular season. They have gotten, you know, banged up with some injuries. They haven't exactly played crisp football all the way through. And Utah's playing really good. They have kind of hit their stride this last month or so. That's a, even when Utah is down, a really, really tough place to play. I think Utah does pull off the upset. It's crazy that we're calling upset, even though they're three-point favorites. So it's like not only they got to win, they got to win by more than three. But I'm going. I'm going the Utes here. Winning by more than three, putting the Ducks down, and getting the win. So we're both on Utah minus three. We're both on Michigan State plus 19. NFL times two tonight. Patriots at Falcons. Patriots are seven-point favorites on the road. Short week, wonky week. You know what the Patriots or the Falcons are going to cover? Yeah, the short week does concern me a little. And the fact that the Patriots, I wasn't too high on the Patriots heading into the season. I wasn't too high on Mac Jones heading into the season. But he's really, really been impressive. He's probably been the best rookie quarterback this season. And they have a team that might actually compete for this AFC's title. Um, it's probably more likely for the wild card, but I, I like the way they're playing. The short week scares me. I just don't think the Falcons are good. I think the Falcons are, after that brutal loss to the Cowboys, you know, they've, I'm not going to say they've given up, but I think that could be the start of, you know, them kind of milling in a bit. So I think the Patriots win, win by the seven. Um, I'll, I'll take the Patriots here, uh, even with the spread. Good news, Stu, we disagree. First disagreement yeah. on the picks. I will go the Falcons. I'm with you. Like, I was not expecting a lot from the Patriots this year where even though I did pick him as a playoff team, I was still skeptical of Mac Jones and the talent kind of building through free agency. They have played really well recently in this last month. With that said, though, short week 
on the road, we maybe I'm just too you know burned from last week could happen with the Ravens and the Dolphins, where that was just an unexpected game that the, the the Dolphins did win. But these short weeks usually do mean the games are closer than expected. So I'll take the Falcons here at home, getting a touchdown. Just keep it close. I think the, the Patriots have won the game. But I do think the Falcons can score enough, and Matt Ryan's still a good enough quarterback to keep it in the game and keep it close. How about the game of the week here, Stu? Cowboys mm. at Chiefs. Dallas, one of the best teams in the NFC. They are getting two and a half points on the road in Arrowhead. Where are you going on this one? Yeah, the Chiefs obviously have not lived up to their expectations uh, you know, so far this season. Many people thought they'd be a 15, 14, 13 win team. Obviously, that hasn't been the case, but they just looked so good against my Raiders on Sunday. And I kind of think this is kind of the start of them turning it on, them becoming, again, one of the powerhouses in the AFC, in the NFL. So just, you know, Mahomes, they look like they had their swagger back. That offense looked like they had their swagger back. They got lucky a few times for sure. You know, Mahomes could have had a few interceptions maybe here and there. Uh, that throw to Williams was just unbelievable. But I do think, even though as good as the Cowboys have been, I do think this is the start for the Chiefs, and I think they win and they cover. I think they beat the Cowboys by at least a field goal here. I will take the Chiefs. Respect to you, Stu, for putting your Raiders fandom aside and picking the team, even though in the division that's still a toss-up, picking the, the better team here. I'm with you. So, again, maybe the kid's death here. This is guaranteeing the Cowboys' victory. But you're right. I think, I think Sunday was kind of the unlocking of this offense. Patrick Holmes, for the first time all season, finally understood what defenses are doing and was patient. Dumped it off. Darren Williams having nine catches and 100 yards receiving, to me, is the biggest stat that kind of shows that the, the Chiefs are a different team. Like, they are finally now scheming against what teams have been doing and locking them up for all season long, playing that prevent defense. I think that now carries forward. I like the Cowboys a lot. This is a tough game for them, but I think the Chiefs win, and they, they win by more, more than two and a half. They, they win by at least three, so I'm with you there. KC at home kind of gets going. They look now back like the Chiefs of old, the Chiefs that we expected coming into the season. Stu, we know we couldn't get you on here without giving a Raiders prediction. This is actually a good game. This is a very interesting game, the one that I'll be locked in a lot to. Bengals going to Vegas. Your Raiders. Big game here. This could be an elimination game with both teams at 5-4 and four in the AFC. Bengals on the road in your house in the black hole. One-point favorites. Can your boys get off the mat or the Bengals roll? Yeah, this is definitely a good game. I'll definitely be locked into this game. I think the Bengals are going to win this game. Wow. Yeah, the Raiders just have not, you know, I don't even think it's the Gruden thing. I think the Ruggs thing definitely was something that affected the team a little, you know, kind of mentally and losing a weapon like that. But they, they just do this every year. They go through these good starts of the season, and then at some point middle of the season, they start their slide, and I think their slide has started. It started with the Giants. They got embarrassed by the Chiefs. And I think facing a Bengals team who has been really impressive to me, um, a team coming off of a bye week, you know, a healthy Joe Mixon, Jamar Chase, Burrow, all those guys, a really a team that really showed that they can belong when they played the Ravens a few weeks back. I think the Bengals go on the road, they go to Vegas. I think they win. I think it's a close game. I think it's, you know, field goal, four-point game, something like that. But I do think the Bengals, I hate to say it, I think they're a better team. I think they go on the road and win. There's a theme here. I'm picking the Bengals as well, Stu, for a reason you laid out before. We've seen this before from the Raiders. 6-4 in 2019, that Jets loss kind of turned the season sideways. Starts this season off, was it 5-2? Giants loss, turned the season sideways. See a common thread there, Stu? 
I do. Unfortunately, I do. Yeah, there is a common thread, yeah. Huh. One person on this show has been to both games that have arguably started the decline of the Raiders season. Guess what? It happened in 2019. It's happening again this year, Stu. I'm sorry. Raiders about to lose their third game in a row, dropped to 5-5 five and five on the year because Cincinnati is going into the black hole, not scared, getting a win and covering the one point because the Stu Kovacs hex is real. It's real. Maybe, it Stu. It is real. It Do is it. real, unfortunately. Uh, Maybe one year. We'll figure it. We'll figure something out, Stu, to kind of get you back on the winning ways. Let's we'll see. Oh, gosh. <laughs> All right, Stu. Well, good news for you. Four of the five picks we agree on. Or, I'm sorry, bad news. That's really bad news for you. Oh, my God. We're both on the Bengals minus one, both on the Chiefs minus two and a half, both on uh, Utah minus three, both on Michigan State plus 19. Bad, bad news for you. But this is where you make your move. Big upset special time. Pick any spread with a, a bigger or an underdog that's more than five-point uh, spread. One point for covering. Two points if your team outright wins, the underdog wins. Stu, who is your upset special of the week? All right, we're going to go to NFL. Okay. I think that the Jaguars, Ooh. I don't know if they could beat the 49ers, but I think they can keep it really close and maybe lose by a field goal. So I'm going to go with the Jaguars here. The Niners currently are favored by six points. Um, the Jaguars, so the Jaguars of late, they obviously had that big win against the Bills. Mm -hmm. Played pretty well against your Colts. Not too bad. They probably, they honestly, Stu, they kind of should have beat them. Yeah. That's what, so, like, Jaguars, this isn't the same Jaguar team from the beginning of the season. And even the beginning of the season, they weren't really getting, other than the Texans game, they really, you know, haven't gone absolutely shellacked. So, I, I do think they're getting a little better. Niners, look, they had that big win against the Rams. So I think it could have, you know, might be a bit of a lot of game. Like maybe they're overlooking the Jaguars. Bit. So the fact that this is a six point spread, I'm going to go with the Jaguars here to, you know, maybe lose by three. Maybe you never know. Maybe at home, they, they pull up the upset. It's also an early game. So the 49ers are playing a 10 a.m. game their time. So yeah, give, give me the Jaguars. here. I'll, I'll take the Jaguars. Stu, I love it. And I love where your line of thinking is. Cause I'm going on a similar theme. I'm going to college football, but your theme is kind of letdown, right? Coming off the Monday night game, big one over the Rams, cross-country, early game. Jaguars have been playing well. They, they keep it close. I will also go with a home underdog in college, though, that is playing a team that I think is primed for a letdown game, and that's Michigan. Maryland is hosting Michigan. Maryland is 15-point underdogs at home. You look at Michigan, an emotional, tough game at Penn State last week. Next week, you have Ohio State, the game. And it looks so far, as long as... Ohio State takes care of business and wins, and obviously Michigan takes care of business and wins. That game is going to be for all the marbles in the Big Ten and probably basically be a playoff semifinal game. I think emotional win last week, a big-time game next week, the game of the season next week. This has Terps keeping it close written all over. I will go Maryland plus 15 and home. Just keep it close. One of those games where you're kind of sleepwalking and, oh, okay, you know, Ohio State, you, do, you got one eye, but we're focused on Maryland, but you're still kind of, Already looking forward to next week because it's college kids. You know, they always do that. I'll take Maryland in a sneaky close game here against Michigan. Stu, man. I love it. I think that's a great pick. That's a great pick. I wow. love that. I love to see that. See, we got to bring in the show more. You're very nice. Not many people are nice to me on the show. It's usually a lot of insults. It's usually a lot of, oh, wow, it's a dumb pick. Thank you. You're a great guy, <laughs> Stu. I don't know why when we see each other in person at work, you're not this nice, but you are a nice guy on the phone. So we're going to have you on more. How about that? I love it. Anytime, anytime you want me, I am happy to join. Hickey Sickey's one of the greatest names for a pick segment I've ever heard. Wow, look at on this any guy. TV or radio show. I love it. Yeah, I'm Hickey not Sickey's even paying you for it. Like that. 
Well, a lot of people. You know, it's funny. A lot of people hit the name. My, my, my good friend, Rooks, he is currently the guy who's 6-1. He started the show by saying this is the worst name segment that I've ever heard. And he's being serious. Aww. Can you believe that? No, it's good. It's a good name. Stu, that's why we bring you on the show here because you not only bring some facts, you, you compliment the host. That is, that is basically 85% of having guests on the show is that. <laughs> so thank you so much for coming on. I'll see you at work in a few hours. Best of luck with the picks. Hopefully, you know, if you're right, that means I'm right for most of them. So fingers crossed we both have a good week. Thanks for coming on, man. Thank you for having me, Trace, Mr. Ricky. I really appreciate it. And like I said, anytime, I really appreciate it, man. The Stu Kovacs, as seen on TV. Stu Kovacs, we appreciate him. And again, the compliments, yeah, they don't hurt either. Very nice guy. Very great guy there in Stu. Hopefully his picks are, are right because that means my picks are right. 26 and 24. It has been a steep downhill dive recently. Last time Hickey's Pickies happened two weeks ago, one and four. Not great. So we're looking for a big bounce back here. We'll see how those picks go. When we return here on the Ryan Hickey Show, the five we know the five contenders for the Super Bowl in the NFC, right? It's the Cowboys, it's the Cardinals, it's the Rams, it's the Packers, it's the Buccaneers. Not rocket science. But what I haven't really heard too often and discussed too much is, well, who has the best chance of those five teams to make the Super Bowl? Well, I'll tell you that when we do return here on the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show. Where else but the Worldwide Sports Radio Network? We appreciate Stu Kovacs for coming on for Hickey's Pickies. We'll post those picks here in a few minutes on social media, of course. We appreciate Stu for being a good sport. We are coming to you live. It's the 10 o'clock hour sponsored by LC Designs. Charcuterie boards are perfect for all occasions. So make sure your guests are happily fed with some delicious and aesthetically pleasing charcuterie boards made by Lauren Clark. It's Thanksgiving time. No better time for a good board filled with meats and cheeses. Who will say no to that? So make sure you check out lcdesignsnyc.com, lcdesignsnyc.com for more information. So in the NFC... There's been a clear line of delineation between the haves and the have-nots, the Super Bowl contenders and everyone else, right? As we know, the five teams, Cardinals, Rams, Packers, Bucks, Cowboys. So as we just kind of round past the halfway point, and now we enter the second half of the NFL season, which of those teams is the best shot to make the Super Bowl? Right? There's, there's never kind of a discussion about those teams. It's always just, oh, the five teams and everyone else. Well, out of those five teams... And we project forward who has the best shot to be representing the NFC in the Super Bowl. I'll give you my odds from 5 to 1. The least likely to make the Super Bowl to the most likely to make the Super Bowl. At number 5, I have the Cardinals. The reason they are last on this list out of the five contenders in the NFC is honestly because of the inexperience of their head coach and their quarterback. Like, playoffs, I think, are, are fair to say it's a different beast. It's kind of like any sport. Not that the, the Play style changes, but the intensity, the moment, it does kind of overwhelm coaches and players. Sometimes we've seen it happen all the time. Playoffs are a different piece. The playoffs are a different animal. So it does have me nervous for the Cardinals, for how great this season has been, for how, I would say, surprising they have been able to play really well so far this season. It has me nervous that their head coach in Cliff Kingsbury, their quarterback in Kyler Murray, both have not been to the playoffs before. They're the only team out of the five that don't have either uh, playoff experience from either the head coach or the quarterback. 
every other team, other the other four, have either their quarterback or head coach been in the playoffs before. That scares me. I'll be honest, that has me nervous. So when you have these five teams so tightly bunched together, where the, the margin for error is very thin, I think playoff experience does give the other four teams an advantage over the Cardinals. With that said, I'm also a little nervous about how Cliff Kingsbury has coached in the second half of seasons. Whether it's at Texas Tech, whether it's with the, with the Cardinals. There has been every single year a drop-off in play in the second half of the season compared to the first half. I don't think it's coincidence. So I know they've gotten off to a great start, and they have, and they have been tremendous. But I will say I'm interested to see how the Cardinals finish this season because under Cliff Kingsbury, whether it's the Red Raiders of Texas Tech, whether it's the Cardinals even last year, they have stumbled to the finish line every single year. So I'm interested in Cliff Kingsbury, how he's able to finish with his team. And can he out-scheme opponents? Can he give the Cardinals an advantage over other playoff teams? Because right now, I'll say this. Whether he's going against the Packers defense, that's been outstanding this year. Whether he's going against Sean McVay in that Rams offense. Whether he's going against Todd Bowles and what he's been able to do defensively with the Buccaneers. Are you sold right now that Cliff Kingsbury can out-coach Todd Bowles, Joe Barry, the defense coordinator for the Packers, and Sean McVay right now? I can't. I can't sit here and tell you confidently that he can. That has me nervous. So while the Cardinals are right now both top 10 offensively, defensively, in terms of total offense, total defense, I think the overriding factor for me that has me nervous is the inexperience of Cliff and the inexperience of Kyler Murray. I have the Cardinals at number five. Number four, I have the Dallas Cowboys. I think two things separate them from the rest of the other four teams we're going to get into here. Cowboys out of the five playoff contenders have the worst defense out of the five, and they have the worst head coach out of the five. I know we talked about Cliff, but and with Cliff, it's a lot of inexperience has me concerned. We'll get to Mike McCarthy in a second. Actually, we'll get to Mike McCarthy now. What the hell? Mike McCarthy's not a very good head coach. Uh, I'm sorry here. He has me nervous. His timeout usage is very shaky. His game management, let's call for what it is, questionable at best. The team under McCarthy has been very undisciplined. They have the fourth most penalties in the NFL. Fourth most. That costs you games in the playoffs. Again, we are talking about these five teams grouped together. Being super talented offensively, very talented defensively, there is not, you know, a lot separating them. So every little thing counts. An offsides on third and five or a holding penalty on third down to extend a drive or a holding penalty on offense to take away first down and back your offense up, those small things become magnified in the playoffs. I don't like where the Cowboys are trending um, in terms of penalties. I don't like where, where or don't trust Mike McCarthy to, again, kind of out-coach these other coaches he's going against. I don't say they're winning in spite of Mike McCarthy, but you look at what Callum Moore has done on the offensive end, you look at what Dan Quinn has done on the defensive end, Mike McCarthy's only real job during the game, timeouts, game management, challenges, go for it or not, it's been very skeptical and very question, or I've been very skeptical, and a lot of decisions he's made have been very questionable. We're sure the Cowboys have maybe won, you know, it's worked out to where even though the, the process wasn't exactly the right one, the result ended up bearing out to where they got a touchdown, they went for a fourth down, or the challenge flag was inadvertent, or a timeout should have been used and it worked out. They have kind of been able to overcome Mike McCarthy's blunders. I get nervous in the postseason that you won't be able to overcome those mistakes. When you're playing against good elite teams, those small mistakes come back to bite you. So they, they have the worst head coach, I think, out of the five. To where really, you know, 
Yeah. I don't know why I just repeated myself. My bad. I just totally lost for a second. They have the worst head coach of the five. And defensively, Dallas's defense has come a long way, right? They have done a good job so far going from last year being one of the worst defenses in the NFL to really improving under Dan Quinn. Micah Parsons, the addition uh, from Penn State, has been tremendous. Trayvon Diggs is an interception machine. But also, I will say, their defense out of the five uh, playoff and Super Bowl contenders is the weakest. Secondary, despite the, you know, the interceptions that they have gotten, it's still a little leaky. Sometimes, to me, it feels like they are turnover dependent, where if they're not getting the turnovers, if they're not getting interceptions, if Trayvon Diggs isn't making incredible plays, they will give up yards. They'll give up points. That, to me, is a little concerning if you come, in terms of getting stops, reliant on turnovers to do that for you. They have struggled getting after the quarterback. They have just 18 sacks in the season so far, which is 25th in the NFL, which, again, when you're playing Kyler Murray, when you're playing Matthew Stafford, Aaron Rodgers, you give these guys time, they're going to dissect and pick you apart. Getting after the quarterback is important. It's an area the Cowboys have struggled with. So for me, the Cowboys have the worst head coach out of the five, the worst defense out of the five. That's why I think the Cowboys set at number four in terms of likeliness to make the Super Bowl out of the NFC. Number three, I'm putting the Packers. Now, defensively, they have taken a massive step forward. They've been one of the best defensive teams in all the NFL this year. But offensively, they have taken a step back. Let's call for what it is. The Packers' offense is not as potent. It is not as deadly and explosive and efficient as it was last year. So even though defensively, right, they are third in total defense right now in the NFL. They are third in terms of points per game allowed, just 18 points per game. That alone, when you have Aaron Rodgers as a quarterback, should probably vulture to the top, right? You should be the number one team most likely to make the Super Bowl when you have a top three defense and Aaron Rodgers as your quarterback. But this year, the offense has been less explosive. Even if you take out the game which Aaron Rodgers missed for COVID and you know Jordan Love played and they only got one touchdown, even the other eight games he has played, they have struggled. They have not played well. There have been many games where Aaron Rodgers looked more like the Aaron Rodgers in 2019 than he did in 2020. Still a good quarterback. Still a guy who's not going to throw a ton of picks. But we saw last year he threw 48 touchdowns, three interceptions. This year, even with the added game, he's on pace for just 32 touchdown passes. Significant drop-off. The Packers, when Aaron Rodgers, again, taking out the Kansas City game when Jordan Love played, if you take out that game, Aaron Rodgers, when he has played this year, the Packers are averaging just 23 points per game. That's it. 23 points. 18th in the NFL. They're 20th in the league in terms of total offense. So there's a lack of explosiveness here that has me concerned, similar to 2019, where this team was playing well, but they were beatable. And we saw the 49ers, once the defense couldn't get any stops, the offense could not get back in the game. This has trended long enough for halfway through the season where yeah, again, Rodgers not playing bad again. And the standard he has set is so high that, again, he has said it before on Pat McAfee's show, oh, quarterbacks, you know, my worst year is career years for most guys. And he's right. And he's going to have 32 touchdown passes and like five picks. That's a tremendous year. But the offense has taken a step back this year compared to last year. I think that lack of explosiveness when you go against these other offenses like the Cardinals, like the Buccaneers, like the Rams, that they can score, the, the Cowboys. The other four teams can score. So if you get in the game in a shootout, you know what? I'm not trusting right now or not believing the Packers offense can keep up with it because they haven't shown they've been able to keep up with it. Lack of explosiveness has me concerned. That's why the Packers are at number three in terms of teams most likely to make the Super Bowl from the NFC. 
Number two, I have the Buccaneers. They're playing clean, crisp football right now. Or they're... <laughs> Let me say that again. They are not. They are the, doing the opposite of what I just said. They're playing bad football, sloppy football. They have lost back-to-back games to backup quarterbacks in Trevor Simeon and Taylor Heineke. I don't know if Tom Brady's had a worse two-game stretch in his career where he's lost to two worst quarterbacks, no offense to those guys in a row. But that's what happened. With that said, despite the fact they are not playing good right now, I have total faith they will turn it around come playoff time and be a totally different team. Not to give them excuses because poor play has been a big reason for it, but secondary, injuries have hurt them. Injuries have been a big reason so far why they have played bad on defense. All right, they're 22nd in the NFL right now in terms of pass defense. They're having a tough time getting off the field on third down. Opponents are converting thir- uh, 43% of their third down conversions. Almost half. Ninth worst in the NFL. So you can't get off in third down. You're not going to give Tom Brady a chance, obviously, to get back on the field. We saw it last week with the Washington football team chewing up the final 10 minutes or out of the 10 minutes, 55 seconds left of the clock. They chewed up 10 minutes and 29 seconds, I believe it was. Insane drive to put the game away. Defense couldn't get off the field on third down. But I do believe, just like last year, Bruce Arians, Tom Brady will figure it out. Still eight games to go. Remember, they didn't really kind of get into their groove last year to the final four games of the regular season. They were up and down. They were sloppy. They were still uh, off, you know, off key. And were able to figure it out down the stretch. I think that will happen again. This, to me, is a team that is built for the postseason, where they know the regular season is not terribly important and they kind of similar to some NBA teams that know their you know finals contenders they kind of coast 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 and then kind of gear their play and gear their readiness towards the plus and that's what's gonna happen here at the Buccaneers where you'll start to see them turn the tide here in the next two or three weeks to really start focusing in on playing playoff caliber football so I think health you know they'll get Rob Gronkowski back it seems they'll get Antonio Brown the second name get healthier I think now that will help them become a better team. And this is still a deep team. Like come playoff time will be an extremely, extremely tough out. That's why they, to me, are number two. They're not number one. The reigning Super Bowl champs, I don't think, are the likeliest to come out of the NFC. The likeliest team to come out of the NFC to uh, represent them in the Super Bowl right now, I do think, is the Rams. I get right now things are bad. They have lost two games, both on a national stage. Right, Sunday night football to the shorthanded Titans and Monday night to the 49ers we just saw the other night. They lost Robert Woods. So right now things are not trending in the right way for LA. I still don't believe by the time the Super Bowl comes, the Rams will be in it. Part of the reason why I believe that, Matthew Stafford is still a really good quarterback. I get he's in a rough patch. I get he's thrown four picks the last two games, two been returned for touchdowns. But he's also shown you he can play well in the big game. Now everyone wants to bring up Matthew Stafford's record against winning teams, how it's like 8-67 and 67 in his career. Well, guess what? He has been on a bad, bad, bad Lions team for the duration of his career, for almost the entirety of his career. So yeah, obviously, he's not going to beat many teams with a winning record because the Lions stink. He has already shown you this year. I know it's the regular season, say what you want, but week three against the Buccaneers, he over 343 yards, four touchdowns, they beat the Bucs. They handled the Bucs and Tom Brady. Sure, it's week three in the, in the regular season. I get it. And the Buccaneers, I think, are going to be a different team we see in the postseason than they were week three that we're even seeing right now. But he played well on a big, important stage. So I do think come playoff time, he'll be fine. I trust Sean McVay to put this team in a position to win. 
just let's not forget, this is the same coach that was able to go to Seattle last year and win a playoff game with a combination of John Wolford and Jared Goff with a broken thumb. I think come playoff time, he'll be able to coach Matthew Stafford up fine to where they are playing really well and get some playoff wins. On the other side of the ball, defensively, they have talent on all three levels. They do a good job, a really good job, an elite job at getting after the quarterback. They lead the NFL or tied for the NFL lead with 29 sacks, which again, when we come to the Cowboys, talk about you know one of their concerns for me is not getting after the passer. The Rams defense does a tremendous job of getting after the passer, which is important, hugely important when you go against these elite quarterbacks like Kyler and Aaron Rodgers and Dak Prescott. You need to get them and hit them and make them uncomfortable and put them off their spot and rush. Well, it helps when you have Aaron Donald. They add Von Miller. Their linebackers are good. You have Jalen Ramsey roaming the secondary. Rams are really deep defensively. They are capable of beating you in many different ways. I get right now they are in a rough patch. They're in a rough stretch. And it hasn't helped that both games have been on national TV. I think the Rams will bounce back from it. They're on their bye. I think similar to the Buccaneers last year, they're still kind of putting the pieces together with a new team. I think they will round into form come playoff time, and they will be the NFC representative in the Super Bowl. So I'm curious your thoughts here. We're looking at the five elite teams in the NFC. Cardinals, Packers, Cowboys, Rams, Bucks. Who is the team that you believe in the most to make the Super Bowl? For me, it's the Rams. What do you think? Worldwide Sports Network on Facebook. WWSRN underscore radio on Twitter at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well. We'll get your thoughts when we return here on the Ryan Hickey Show. Contender or pretender week in the NFL is upon us. There's some big time matchups here that I think will kind of elevate some teams and say, oh, wow, this team is legit. And there are going to be some games where we start to question teams if they are truly playoff pretenders, Super Bowl contenders. I'll explain who. Who is on the hot scene? Who has a chance to really up their value when we do return here on the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network? It is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back into the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Right here, you're listening to the Ryan Hickey Show. We'll get to your thoughts here. A few good, interesting thoughts when it comes to the NFC team who is most likely to win the Super Bowl. I want to circle back to that in one second. But before that, I do want to kind of look at, at week 11 here. It's looking ahead to the, the schedule because... This week in the NFL is shaping up to be a huge contender or pretender week. I think there are four games, four massive games on the schedule. It will truly kind of show which teams are true playoff or Super Bowl contenders. And I think who are the pretenders? Who are some teams that are frauds? This is a week where the men, to me, get separated from the boys. Let's start discussing who could be exposed, who could really be elevating their stock. Steelers at the Chargers. Sunday Night Football for me, this game is more about L.A. than is the Steelers because, honestly, we don't know about Big Ben's status, right? He could play. Possibly the Steelers said they're, they are preparing that Mason Rudolph will start again. If Mason Rudolph starts, I can't sit here and tell you if the Steelers lose their eliminated from playoffs just because it's, it's unfair to do that with the wide-open AFC and also with Mason Rudolph is not being a very good quarterback. So this, for me, is more about the Chargers because if the Chargers win, and I think they will win, 
okay, you get back on track, you're six and four, and all those of the Steelers, whether it's Ben Roethlisberger playing, whether it's Mason Rudolph playing, you got to win this game. You got to take care of business. And recently, they have not been able to do so. You you get this win, all right, fine. I, I'm believing back in you, and I think that this is this Chargers team will make the playoffs. You lose this game, whether Big Ben plays or not. Still, I mean, the Chargers, man, you cannot sit here and tell me they're a playoff team. You cannot lose at home to the Steelers, whose offense has really been struggling. Whether Ben plays or not, this defense is banged up. This has a Chargers win written all over it on a national stage as well. And if you're a playoff team, you know what playoff teams do? They take advantage of their opportunity. You're playing a banged up, beleaguered Steelers team? Beat them. No excuses. Take care of business, say thank you for the freebie, and move on. That's a playoff team. So you lose this game. And you show that you're really not a playoff team. Because guess what? This year, the Chargers have had opportunities to take advantage of, and they have both done so, and also floundered, have not. Well, you go back early this year, they had a tremendous road win at the Chiefs. Great win. Coming off that game, remember that a few weeks later, they, they beat up on the Browns in that insane game of the year. It was a 49-42. High-scoring affair. It was a tremendous back-and-forth game. Since that game, though, that since that thriller, Chargers have not really looked very good. They got blown out by the Ravens. They played a sloppy game against the Patriots. They recently just lost at home to the Vikings. So they've been a team that have been given opportunities, and they have squandered a few massive chances. If you're a playoff team, you keep it close against the Ravens. If you're a playoff team, more importantly, you beat the Vikings. You can't lose that game at home. So here's a chance. Here's an opportunity for the Chargers to cement that they are a playoff team. You got to beat the Steelers. If not, I'm out on the Chargers as being a legitimate playoff contender. You cannot squander so many golden opportunities and still be in the playoffs. That's just my opinion. Cowboys at Chiefs is a great Super Bowl litmus test here. A great test and a great opportunity for both teams, Cowboys and Chiefs, to cement their legitimacy as Super Bowl contenders. For me, I think the Chiefs win this game. Heard on the Hickey's Pickies an hour ago with Stu. I'm picking the Chiefs to win this game, and I think they are getting back on track. Last week was kind of the week where, I don't want to say kind of lifted the, the monkey off their back, if you will, because they've still won games in the past, but the offense finally looking like the Chiefs offense for the first time, maybe since week one, right, against the Browns when they had to come back, but even still, that, that was kind of a dormant offense for three quarters. So we're going back to last year. This Chiefs offense finally looked the part. I think now kind of unlocks the key, if you will, or unlocks the door. And now the Chiefs offense of old will show up again. And this is a big spot for them to kind of truly make a statement to the rest of the, the, rest of the NFL that we are back. Beating the Chargers on Sunday football is a great win. And it's a win that gets you kind of, you know, back going again, gets the motivation or gets the confidence going. You beat now the Cowboys on national TV game of the week for Fox. And you do so where the offense looks good. And you could do so, you know, not convincingly, but you play well and you play a really good brand of Chiefs football you're used to seeing, that now leads to the Chiefs being back and probably, for most people, the team to beat in the AFC. This now, for the Chiefs, is about just consistency. You know they can do it. You know they have the talent. Can they consistently do it? I think they will, and that's why I think this, this game is so important for them. And on the, on the flip side, 
I don't call the Cowboys a contender, but in the last second you heard me just put them fourth out of five teams in terms of likelihood to make the, the Super Bowl. You look at the Cowboys' schedule here. I'm not trying to say they're fraudulent. I've been very impressed with what Dallas has done. But we are, we're talking about Super Bowl contenders, the elite of the elite here. I think it's fair to say if they lose this game, you can start to question the legitimacy of the Cowboys' season so far. Like, you look at their schedule. There's no really great win on their schedule. Like, at the Chargers, Week 2 is probably their best win. But five out of their seven wins, they're 7-2, and two, five of them have come against teams that are 500 or worse. There's not many big marquee victories there for the Cowboys this season. I think you got to wonder, okay, you can't beat the Chiefs, who, look, I know they look good last week, but they're still a work in progress. This is a great spot for you on the road to kind of plant your flag and say, we are a legitimate Super Bowl contender. Not only does our record say so, but we are now have the resume to back it up. If this is college football, well, I know it's not, but if it was, the Cowboys right now don't have the resume to kind of get into the Super Bowl contenders club. They have the wins, 7-2. and two. They don't have the resume. They don't have the impressive wins to do so. Here's a legitimate shot. But you lose this game, I think questions are going to start coming out. Hmm, Dallas, is it kind of, you know, can they beat up on teams like the Falcons and the Panthers and the Giants and the Eagles? But when it comes to playing teams that are, you know, good or better than them, they can't win. That's a concern. So I think that, that's where this game is kind of coming in. I'm picking the Chiefs to win. I mean, they're going to get back on their Super Bowl legitimacy ways. And people, if you're not bought in already, which I'm bought in, but if you're not bought in, this is the game to do so, where the Chiefs now, in most people's minds, I think will become legitimate Super Bowl contenders yet again. On the flip side, I think there's going to be some questions about Dallas. 7-3 and three if they lose this game. But, okay, who have they really beaten? Who has the team that kind of been like, oh, wow. Yeah, okay, Dallas is still legit. I think the resume starts to come into question here if the Cowboys lose this game, which I think they will. Cardinals at Seahawks. This is all about Seattle here. I know they're three and six, so it's tough for me to sit here and say that, oh yeah, they're a legitimate playoff contender here when it comes to uh, the playoffs when you're a team that is, again, three and six. They desperately, desperately need this win. If they're going to make the playoffs, and I think the Seahawks still can and will, this is a win you got to get. Even though they're currently right now, there's a playoff seating 14th in the NFC. The sixth seed is still gettable. The seventh seed is still gettable. We talked about the, 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 the line of delineation. The five teams in the NFC and everyone else is kind of just, eh, okay. Panthers, Falcons, Saints, Vikings, Seahawks. They're all kind of in that same little area battling for two spots. Look, you get Russell Wilson coming back. I get last week he was shut out for the first time in his career. I think he's going to respond well in this game. You're at home. I don't really think the finger is that big of an issue. I think it was more Russ not playing in a month. Not that he rushed back, but a lot of his focus was on rehab. So it's, again, you're not used to getting back into football shape. It's the first time Russell Wilson has been out uh, of a game in his career. So now you have him dealing with Russ for the first time he's never used to dealing with, right? He's never really missed extended time before. So I think that kind of played into a factor as well as why they were, um, why they were shut out in Green Bay last week. I think this is a, a big bounce back game for Seattle. And the reason why, if they lose, look, they're 3-7, and seven, and even if they make the playoffs, are they truly a legitimate team that's scheduled? No. But the reason why this game, to me, is so important, not only for them to get back in the playoff hunt and just make the playoffs, but also, too, you start to wonder, if they lose this game, if they go to 3-7, and seven, things are going to start to spiral. You're 3-7. and seven, All of a sudden now, your playoff hopes are basically dashed. 
Questions about your future start coming up. We know Russell Wilson, you know, voices frustration last year. I personally don't think much has been fixed. So I still think there is some anger, there's some bitterness there towards Pete Carroll, towards the organization. And I don't think Russell Wilson got what he wanted when he voices his frustration. He didn't get the power he wanted. So now you're sitting there at three and seven. I know he's missed a month. But you're looking at a season that's, I don't know, six and eleven, seven and ten. I start to wonder, are things going to spiral here? Is the bottom going to fall out of the Seahawks where Russ gets frustrated, he wants out, things go to hell, and all of a sudden now you're looking at your franchise quarterback playing somewhere else and demanding out and actually getting that demand? I really think this is an important game, not only for your playoff hopes if you're Seattle, but also kind of keeping everything together, keeping Russ happy, keeping him engaged, keeping him with the team. You don't want the season to totally spiral out of control where Russ has kind of left with no other option but to say, this is a disaster right now. I got to get out of here. There's a lot of holes on the Seahawks team. And we saw that when Geno Smith was playing, how much Russell Wilson covers up for this team and the deficiencies they have. You don't want this spiraling out of control to where Russ has no choice but to say, I can't win here anymore. I want to win. I'm going to go somewhere else. Important, important game for Seattle to kind of prevent them from being total frauds and pretenders where the season could get ugly. Finally here, an elimination game, I think, in the AFC. Bengals at the Raiders. This is a tremendous gut check game for both teams because, honestly, they're both kind of following similar paths, right? Bloke off to hot starts. Both are 5-2. and two. Oh, my God, look at the Bengals. They're playing well. Is this team legit? Should we take them seriously? The Raiders, the same thing. Oh my God, is this finally the year they put it together? Remember the last two years they've gone off to hot starts and have fallen, you know, gotten cold? Can we truly believe in the Raiders this year? Now both have cooled off. Now both have lost two games in a row. Now both, I think, are facing an elimination game. I do think the loser of this game is missing the playoffs. And I'm taking the Bengals to win. I think the Bengals do pull this win out. They march there, you know, towards being legitimate playoff contenders. I think the the Raiders, we will view them as frauds. Three years in a row, the bottom fell out of this team, and they will miss the playoffs after another hot start. We saw this Raiders defense get shredded by the Chiefs offense last week. Not that the Bengals offense is at the same level. They have a ton of weapons. They can really dissect, especially in the passing game, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd. Tyler Uzama, they've all really been playing well this year. Joe Barr, I know his picks are high, but he's still throwing a lot of touchdown passes, still throwing the ball all over the yard. I think the Bengals are legit here. They, they shred the, the Raiders' defense yet again. They go on the road to the black hole, get the win, and kind of re-grip their season, get their season back on track to be Super Bowl, oh, Super Bowl, sorry, playoff contenders. And for the Raiders, another season, I think, where you look and say a hot start, bad finish. I think they'll be revealed as frauds in terms of the playoff race. So I'm curious your thoughts here. I do think this is a a playoff contender and pretender weekend. A few playoff teams here have the chance to really separate themselves as legitimate contenders. I think a few teams are going to get exposed as pretenders, as frauds. Who is going to get exposed? Which team do we think of, okay, yeah, they're a playoff team now. We'll be thinking differently on Monday. Which team will firmly cement themselves as either Super Bowl or playoff contenders after this week? I'd love to get your thoughts. Facebook, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio, at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well. We'll get your thoughts. When we do return here on the Ryan Hickey Show, I gave you before five teams in the NFC and the likelihood of each of them making the playoffs. I think the Rams are the most likely team to make the playoffs. A few of you disagree. 
I'll explain why you're wrong next. You're listening to the Ryan Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show. Apologies for the technical difficulties here. A little Wi-Fi outage, but we are back here for the final few minutes of the show. We appreciate your patience and sticking with us. The stream somehow kept going. Defies Wi-Fi logic, but guess what? We are rolling here, so we appreciate you making us a part of it. So we're going to finish up the show here uh, by discussing, again, Super Bowl contenders in the NFC. We know the five teams, the Cardinals, the Rams, the Buccaneers, the Cowboys, and the Packers. Who is the most likely team to make the, uh, make the Super Bowl? Who will be representing the NFC come Super Bowl time in February in L.A.? For me, it's going to be the home team, the Rams. I think they are the best equipped offensively and defensively to make a run, I get right now they are down. I get injuries, you know, Robert Woods being out the rest of the year is a killer. I get they have looked pretty bad against the Titans on Sunday Night Football and the 49ers on Monday Night Football. But kind of similar to the Buccaneers last year, where they were struggling. Remember, they got blown out by the Saints like week nine uh, on Sunday Night Football. They were really scuffling questions about Tom Brady. I do think the Rams are in a similar spot where it's still new players. I know they're working in a new, a new quarterback and Matthew Stafford still trying to get comfortable with his new team. I do think that by playoff time, this will be a Rams team hitting on all cylinders and they will be really good. So for me, it's the Rams. Dave Mencarley on Twitter. I apologize for that, Dave. Totally butchered that. He thinks it's the Packers because they seem to be the most consistently good team in the NFL which is a fair point by Dave because part of the NFL landscape this year has been inconsistency. So many teams that we believe in look good and then flounder, right? The Ravens are playing well, then they get blown out by the Bengals. The Titans are playing well, they lose Derrick Henry. The Rams are playing well, they lose to the Titans, and then they lose to the 49ers. The Packers have been the one team that's kind of always been kind of consistently rolling through. Now, really bad loss, week one of the Saints. I think a lot of external factors went into that loss. But since that loss, they have won. Come out and played consistently good football week in, week out. Their only other losses here is with Jordan Love starting in that spot start because Aaron Rodgers had COVID. The thing about the Packers, though, and why I have them on my list three and not one or two, is because consistently, yes, they have a great defense and the offense has been there every single week. I'm worried about their ceiling, though. The offense has not been explosive this year. With Aaron Rodgers at the helm, they're only averaging 23 points per game. That has me nervous. Like When you're going against a high-powered offense, whether it's the Rams, whether it's the Bucks, whether it's the Cowboys, whether it's the Cardinals, you're going to have to score. I know your defense is top three in points per game allowed in total defense, but these offenses are really good where they're going to score points. You're going to need your offense to match what the other offenses are doing. And right now, the Packers' offense this year has been lacking. It is the least potent, the least explosive out of the other four teams we're talking about. That, to me, is why I don't have the Packers uh, as number one. I do have them number three. (laughs) Ben uh, chimes and he just goes, hashtag TB12. And I get that. That argument is fair. Tom Brady, the GOAT, as we know, he always plays his best football come postseason time. Either will take the Rams. I think the Rams are deeper and healthier offensively and defensively. The secondary uh, concerns do worry me if you're a Tampa Bay. 
Well, I think they've been in a little bit of a funk right now. I think they'll get out of it similar to the Rams. I think both teams are playing extremely uh, or be playing a lot better football come, let's say, January than they are right now in November. But with that said, I do think that 1 through 53, I think everything kind of, for me, I would lean towards the Rams over the Bucks in that situation. Why I'm going L.A. over TB12. Tonight, I think the Patriots do win. The Falcons do cover plus 7. Be a, a fun game tonight. Kickoff week number 11. So appreciate your thoughts here, your contributions, and you starting your Thursday morning with us right here on the Worldwide Sports Network. Have a tremendous weekend. Stay safe, stay sane, and we'll talk to you right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio.